You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Pride is an awful thing, and pride can strike any one of us at any time, and probably has at one time or the other. I know it has struck my heart at one time or the other, and I know it might have struck your heart at one time or the other. Pride is a deadly thing. It's a deadly thing. It causes you to lose perspective. It causes you to elevate yourselves above others and then to be their judge and their jury. It's safe to say that we've all taken our pride too far at one time or another. Most of us love the feeling of it, but how do we leave it behind when it starts to hurt others? Today, Pastor Dave wants you to know that Jesus is the way to leave your pride behind. If you want to mature in who you are and move past your mistakes, follow Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Esther, chapter 5, as he continues his message, The Setup. The cross becomes the scepter of grace. The cross becomes that beautiful scepter that is held up to us that we need to accept. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. The king is astute enough to know that Queen Esther would not take the risk over something petty. He knows that this is something very, very big, or else the queen would not have taken the risk. I'm sure she was frightened. I'm sure she was trembling. I'm sure she was greatly distressed. But notice one thing. Did you notice one thing in verse 4? Can anybody look at verse 4 and tell me what you've noticed? Something about the banquet. It shows her great faith. It's been prepared. Which means she's already prepared it. You see what I'm trying to say? She had enough faith to prepare this banquet. It's past tense. She's already did it. She's already done it. What kind of language is that? She's already done it. She, it's already been accomplished. She did it by faith. She did it by faith. I remember one time, back in the day in Ocean City, we had this guy come around who did some music, and we were putting him up at the promenade on the boardwalk in Ocean City. And I was talking to him. And he said, I didn't know how I was going to get here. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know until the last minute that I was even coming. I mean, I would even go. I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I just packed my my bags. I packed my bags and got ready. See, he prepared to travel. He prepared to go. It's like like the story in Facing the Giants. Prepared for rain. They prepared for rain. Instead of waiting for it to rain, they prepared because it was going to rain. They put the, the uh, vegetables in the ground and things like that. They prepared. She prepared. So she trusted. She's trusting in somebody. We're hoping it's the Lord. 
It says, I have prepared. It's a past thing. The banquet was prepared. Esther planned it all out. She wasn't just biding her time, waiting. She wasn't halting or worried about it when it came to executing the plan. She conceived this plan, and she fasted to the unmentioned God. She fasted to the unmentioned God. She took care of her waffling back and forth in verse four, chapter 4. Remember, in chapter 4, she was like, she didn't want to do it. She kept on coming up with excuses and why she can't and all those kind of things. If she perishes, she perishes. That's her thought. Her resolve is, hey, if I die, I die. I'm going to die anyhow if something doesn't happen. She's putting everything into action. See, faith without works is dead. That's what I'm getting out of this. If we don't step out in our faith and put our faith into action, it's nothing. Faith without works is dead. We got to move on ourselves. We rest, we hope, we pray, we read, we study, and then we need to move out. We need to step out and let God do the work. There's a lot of doors that he's going to open out there, but if we never even try to open the door, how are we going to know what door is he going to open? God is wanting to use us in a most special way. How do we know what he wants to do? If we, sometimes we're so afraid to even open our mouth. And he doesn't, we don't know what he could do if we would just step out in faith. But this is Esther's resolve. She has a plan. She's putting into action. And all the pieces are falling together. Why? Why? Because God's in control. <laughs> because God is in control. And he has everything set up. Of course, where God guides, he provides. Yes, that's our step. Where God guides, he provides. God is obviously guiding her. God is obviously guiding her, and she's doing all this on her own. This is fun for me to watch. I loved it. I love to see when a plan comes together. And just notice one other thing in this verse. Esther had the banquet all prepared. She knew full well that she might die at the king's hand, but she went ahead and made her plans and executed them anyway. Her attitude is the heart of like James in the New Testament. If the Lord's will, we will live and also do this or do that. That's what James says. The king, being astute, he picked up on it. In an effort to reassure his love for her, he offered her anything she wanted up to half the kingdom. He made this publicly. This wasn't some idle thing that he said off to the side. He makes it in front of all his attendants, all his people, and all these things. Interesting. When I read this, I immediately went to someone else who made a statement like this. Does anybody know in scripture who made a statement like this? Herod, one of the Herods, had John the Baptist locked up, right? So his stepdaughter danced for him, and he was so happy with the dance that she did. What did he say? I'll give you anything you want, up to what? Half the kingdom. What did she want? She wanted the head of John the Baptist. And he didn't want to give it to her, but because he made that proclamation out in front of anybody to save face, he had to go and have John the Baptist beheaded. So here, the king doesn't know what she's going to ask for. I wonder what he would do if she said, I want half the kingdom. I wonder what he would do. I don't know. But the setup now begins. This intricate plot that Esther is weaving. She doesn't reveal her heart completely, but she invites the king and Haman to a banquet. Notice, she invites Haman to the banquet. To the king's credit, he didn't make her reveal everything right there. He accepted the invitation. You know, Jesus is pretty astute, too. He knows when a genuine seeker comes to him. He knows when someone's heart is towards him that comes to him. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
He's a rewarder of those who come to him and diligently. He knows that when you come to Jesus, there's a deeper problem. A problem that brought you seeking. The greater problem in our life is sin and separation from God. And when you realize that in your heart, you go to him. And you pour your heart out upon him. Revelation 3, verses 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. The king accepted the invitation. Very wise. Look at five and six. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Again, past tense. She already prepared it. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. The king's really throwing it out there. He's really given her a chance to really become quite wealthy. But she has other things in mind. Haman is the prime minister. He's the prime minister of the kingdom. But when the queen made the request, he was ordered to comply. You don't turn down the queen at the king's request. When the king comes to you and says, hey, we're going to dinner at my house tonight. Be there. You don't say, I got other plans. No, you don't do that kind of stuff. You go. You go. Interestingly, the king and Haman think that they're in charge of the entire situation, especially Haman. Haman thinks everything's under control. I'm good here. I got a decree that all these Jews are going to die 12 months from now. I'm in control of this whole situation and nothing's going to stop me now. He doesn't really know our God, does he? He doesn't know our God. There's a lot of pride in Haman's heart. A lot of pride in Haman's heart. And we'll look at that too in a little bit. But in verse 1 of Proverbs 21, it says this. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So God is still in control here. God is still in control of this king, of anyone else. God is, his sovereignty hand, his providential hand is all over this thing. And we're going to see that when it comes to fruition, when we get to the later chapters. Look at 7 and 9. Then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king... And if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Haman went out that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Notice again, Esther still doesn't reveal the request. She's really setting this thing up. She's working, working, working very, very well. She invites them back for another banquet the next day, and then she promises to reveal her request. And when I read this, when I reread this, outside my front door, outside my front door, when I walk out my front door of my house, right up here in the corner is my girlfriend, Charlotte. And every night, she spins the greatest web I've ever seen in my entire life. She works so hard on this web every single night. God bless her soul. She works all night. Bee's gone, kill her, kill her. I can't kill Charlotte. She's a pet. She's my friend. But she's out there, and you know, and then every now and then the rain will hit it, and it just lights up. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. I go out there in the morning, guess what? She's gone. 
She's gone. I have no idea where it goes. I don't want to know. Anyhow, she's gone, right? Esther, spinning a web here. <laughs> Esther is really spinning a web. She really is spinning a really, really great web. And she wants to catch someone. She wants to catch Haman. She wants to catch him in her web. And she's really, really spinning it. Haman, unfortunately, is an example of the worst in all of us. As long as Haman was being elevated, as long as Haman was being lifted up, he thought everything was peachy keen jelly bean. He thought everything was rosy. He thought everything was wonderful. Once he was singled out, he's going to banquets. He's going to the king. He has the king's ear. He and the king are drinking wine together. Woo! He's hot. This is great. He's up there on cloud nine. He's having a good time. But on the way home, he passes the king's gate, and there's poor old Mordecai. And Mordecai is standing there. And you know that everyone was so afraid. We studied in chapter 4 that everyone was so admired and afraid of Haman that when he walked by, they all fell to the face and prostrate themselves before them. Everyone except who? Mordecai. He just, they just stood there and watched him go by. He just stood there. I love this guy. He's not doing this. And what does this do to Haman? It makes him furious. It gets him really, really upset. Look what happens in 10 through 13. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and called for his best, his friends, and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of the great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, heaven said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come into the king to the banquet that she had prepared. And tomorrow, I'm going to go again by her and be invited along with the king. Yet this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. I love this. I love the pride that Haman is exuding. He is just one prideful dude. One prideful dude. The word here, restrained, means he forced himself to say nothing to Mordecai, but when he got home, he opened up to his wife and his buddies. He really let it out. You might say that was a good thing that he held his tongue when he was in Haman's presence, but look what he does next. He invites all his friends over, and he tells them how wonderful a guy I am. Have I told you how great I am? For Have I told you how great I am? I can tell you. Let me tell you how great I am. And when I'm finishing telling you how great I am, I'm going to let you talk, and you can tell how great I am. Haman, boy, his head was big. I don't know how he got his helmet on. He was loving to tell people just how great a person he was. Well, what you're about to see, Proverbs 16, come to life. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. According to Matthew 18, Haman should have taken his compliment, his complaint to Mordecai himself instead of holding a defamation meeting. Have you ever been part of a defamation meeting where somebody comes in and they start to defame other people in your presence? When that happens, folks, you know what you should do? Talk to the hand. Stop. You should tell the person to stop. It's hard to do sometimes, but you should tell the person to stop. The meeting was a great success. It accomplished everything that Haman wanted it to accomplish. Everybody knew how great he was. Everybody knew what a swell guide he was, and it accomplishes everything he wants to do. Let's finish it up. It says, 
Then his wife Zeresh and all the friends said to him, Let a gallows be made, fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman so that the gallows were made. Woo-hoo! Seems like Haman was trying to console himself about Mordecai's disrespect. He tried as the best he could to build himself up, not only in his own eyes, but in the eyes of all his friends. We like to do that, don't we? We like to tell everybody how great we are. He boasts about his promotion by Ahasuerus. The latest reason he has the bag, he was invited to a special dinner at the queen's house. Woo, nobody gets that kind of thing. The king and the queen, how about that? But once again, his countenance took a dive when he saw Mordecai sitting, not standing as he ought at the gate. Mordecai won't bow to Haman. And I think this is interesting because this is out of religious reasons. Mordecai knows that there is one God and only one God. I think Mordecai probably said the Shema every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. He probably said that every single day. And when he doesn't bow to Haman, it infuriates Haman. Haman gets really, really mad and he gets out of joint. He basically tainted the hearts of all the people that he talked about. And he comes up with this wonderful suggestion. What a great idea. Let's hang him. Yeah, let's go to a galley's and we'll hang him. That's a good idea. His wife and his friends, make a gallows 75 feet high. 75, woo. Let the gallows be made 50 cubits high. And in the morning, suggest that one Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily your way to the banquet. Woo. One thing we need to make clear. Was this gallows like the Old West gallows that we look at on Hang 'em High or one of the Clint Eastwood movies? Or was it a giant stake which they impaled someone on and let them suffer for a long time? The Persians were known for this. The Persians were known for making these giant stakes and taking people and impaling them on the stake and just letting them lie there and die for a long time. They were very ruthless. They were very, very bad. Killing, Haman, killing Mordecai was what Haman wanted all along. It was what he wanted, what he desired. He was the first of the Jews, and he wanted to get back. It must surely have been the right decision, because how can all the people be wrong? How can everybody agree with me and that be the wrong decision? Now, God's not involved. You've got to be careful there. Sinful human wrath and vengeance can get pretty out of control, and that's what Haman wants. He wants vengeance. We know for a fact through Scripture Who does vengeance belong to? The Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. I will repay. So rather than wait until the 12th month to kill Mordecai, he wants to kill him right now. Let's get ready with him right now. I bet he slept well that night. His plan all ready to go. His confidence was soaring. He was getting bolder and bolder. But it's going to be a false confidence because he was trusting in himself. He was trusting in himself to carry out the plan that he had hatched along with his people. He didn't know that the creator of the universe, the Lord God Almighty, had already worked things out in his favor, in God's favor. And things were all going to come to a head real soon. He was in for quite a fall. Haman would get his comeuppance very, very soon. And that was going to take place. Pride is an awful thing. And pride can strike any one of us at any time. 
and probably has at one time or the other. I know it has struck my heart at one time or the other, and I know it might have struck your heart at one time or the other. Pride is a deadly thing. It's a deadly thing. It causes you to lose perspective. It causes you to elevate yourselves above others and then to be their judge and their jury. It helps you to seek and destroy those who don't agree with you. Those who refuse to bow down to you or acquiesce to you or do what you want them to do. You, you become their enemies. I love this. I saw that. I don't even know where I got this, but I, I love this quote. Pride is the only known disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it. Think about that. When we're prideful, when we're in a mood of pride like that, we like to gather people around us to justify us, to make us look good, to tell us that we're okay. We justify ourselves at others' expense and we look at things. It's never a right thing to do. Again, Matthew 18 is always the right thing to do. Going to the person if you have a beef with them. If you've got a problem with somebody, go to that person. Sit down with that person and say, brother or sister, I have this problem against you. Let's work it out in love. Go to that person in love. But before you get there, take the railroad tie out of your own eye before you try to remove the speck out of that person's eye. Make sure your heart is clean. Make sure your heart is clean. We need to show as much grace as been shown to us. We need to show that grace one to another. And that can be hard to do at times. That can be difficult to do. We must be as quick to forgive as we want to be forgiven when we fail. Now, I know you guys never fail, but I do. And I need to be forgiven when I do in hopes that I will forgive others who fail also. Jesus is holding out the scepter of grace to each one of us. Jesus is holding out the scepter of grace, and it looks like that. That's what the scepter of grace looks like that Jesus is holding out. He's holding that out for each one of us. And we can come into his presence through the cross. We can come into his presence, and we can be forgiven. And he won't give us half the kingdom. No, Jesus will give you all the kingdom. He gives you the entire kingdom. He doesn't just give you half. He gives everything to you. He lavishes you with his love. He lavishes you with his mercy and his grace. And he lavishes you with gift after gift after gift after gift. But it's not about that. All this is salvation too. It's about salvation. It's about spending eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven that we've been studying about in Revelation. But he lavishes us. Read Please, take, take some time and read through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and just dwell on what you have in Christ. What Christ has given you all because of the cross. He's holding out that scepter today. And we all need that grace. We all need to come to that scepter and touch it and accept Jesus' grace in our lives. Not only the grace to be saved, but His grace to live day by day by day by day. And as much grace as He's extended to you, my challenge is extend it to others. Extend that grace to others. Yeah, if, if anybody's like me, I'm an EGN. Extra grace needed. That's me. Yeah, I am. But we all need a lot of grace. And Christ is holding out that grace scepter. Accept it and take it and move forward. Amen? You are When you read the story of Esther... 
All of it seems to happen rather quickly. Ten short chapters tell the whole story. But when you slow down and do a closer reading, you'll find that over a decade passed between the time Esther was chosen queen and the rest of the story. Years and years before the crisis, God moved Esther into exactly the place he needed her to be in order to save his people. This gives the whole story a much larger perspective when you consider Mordecai's words. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Have you been in the same place for many years without a clue as to why you're there? Don't forget that God moves his people into position so that they're there and ready right when he wants them. Don't get discouraged in the waiting. He knows you're there and he knows why. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. As Pastor Dave works his way through the book of Esther, we're learning more and more about God's plans and purposes through history and through your life today. A Sure Hope comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. To learn more about the church, including service times and location, head on over to assurehoperadio.com. Once again, that website is assurehoperadio.com. While you're there, check out the links to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube, as well as our archive of messages for today's Christ follower. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you back here again next time on A Sure Hope.